and welcome back to yet another episode of the People's Wrestling Podcast. Joined as always by Ali and Matt. Guys, what's going on? Not a lot, not a lot. Don't know if you've heard, but there's a uh, lockdown going on. Yeah, I think we could probably like record a, a single clip of how we're doing and just play that after uh, during every episode because it's probably going to be the same answer. Yeah. Matt, you're slightly less groggy this week. Uh, yeah, a little bit, but not in a better mood, just but uh... <laughs> Well, hopefully, uh, well, I was going to say, well, hopefully this uh, episode will cheer you up. I'm going to start on a bit of a downer. Um, just quickly before we get on to our, our main topic, being the, the randomizer, we have to talk about it. The despise of the Undisputed Era. Despise? Demise, even. <laughs> I'm so devastated that I can't even speak. I'm quite happy. What do we think of it? I'm quite happy. happy. Yeah. That surprises me. I think it's going to just lead to some seriously good matches. Yeah, I think that's a given. I think there's been a large portion of people who are quite uh, upset that we're never going to get to see them, or at least not in the immediate future, on the main roster together, which kind of seemed to be um, something that a lot of people were looking forward to in the last two years or so. Ali, what what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with Matt. I think um, just looking forward to Kyle O'Reilly versus Adam Cole. <laughs> I think that would be a fantastic match. Um, I, I sincerely hope that it can happen in front of people, in front of a crowd, at least more than they have at CWC. But um, it, even if it doesn't, it'll still be fantastic. Um, but yeah, it was. It is a shame to not have them on the main roster. Um, but who's to say that won't happen one day? Yeah, I'm sure there's always the um, possibility of them coming back together. Um, I it, it's a shame for me. They they have gone a little bit stale, especially as kind of like a, although it was interesting to see them as a face group. They've kind of done everything that they could do in NXT and it just seemed like an inevitability and you know, just a waiting game for them to come up. Um, but it keeps not, it fresh, doesn't it? Ian? Yeah, not not going to happen in the short term. I, uh, I don't know. I'd be shitting myself if I was Bobby Fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure the other three will be fine, but I know he is older than the rest and so maybe he might start moving into a bit more of a kind of coaching role at the PC or something. But yeah, um, bit of a shame, but also, uh, it's part of wrestling, isn't it? It's just what happens with groups. Um, we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes. Or I'm excited for the matches, but yeah, sad about the demise. Unexpected as well for me, anyway. Um, right, let's get on to the, uh, the, the meat of this episode, what we come here for, which is the randomizer. Random. So, for those of you who didn't... We have no idea. Yeah, yeah. We have no idea what's going to happen. So for, the, for those of you who didn't see last week's episode, we... Um, Firstly, shame on you. Yes, of course. Go back and check it out in the archives. Um, we Is it loaded, on YouTube, though? Yeah. I couldn't find it today. That's definitely on there. It's, like, it's, it's our last uh, upload. The last video on there is the Royal Rumble. No, it's definitely on there. I had a look earlier. 46 minutes. <laughs> Um, anyway, it's definitely on YouTube. If you can't find it on YouTube, it's on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, etc. Um, so what we did last week was we, each of us brought to the table about six or seven topics and each and, um, loaded them into a randomizer. Uh, these topics 
um, range from specific wrestlers to pay-per-views to general topics. And what we're going to do now, or in the next minute or two, is we're going to spin the randomizer that Ali is in control of. And whatever topic it lands on, that's what we're talking about for the rest of this episode. Unless so, it's really uh, shit and then we'll bypass it. <laughs> hey, no, no skipping, no skipping. Unless it's The Rock and then I'm just going to log out of this call. That's the thing, we, we all pre-agreed on these topics, so there should be no surprise. Well, I didn't agree to it. It was kind of just brought up and we said, hmm, I never agreed to The Rock one. You did, and you you said you'd give your fair fair perspective of of the rock. So I won't give um, it fair. It was just definitely biased. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Ali, if you would like to uh, do the honors, open up the randomizer. You should see it on the screen. So, if those, for those of you who are only listening and not watching, um, then you won't see anything. You don't think you'll hear anything either, but you'll hear us react to it, and then we'll it lands on obviously. Oh. Uh, there we go. Well, you can see my little face there. How old is that? See your baby face, yeah. <laughs> That's actually only two weeks ago, just without catfish. <laughs> now, now I just have to figure out how I did it last week. <laughs> you hit the share screen option. Share screen button. No rehearsals here on the PWP, guys. We just how we do things. We don't even have a topic for the episode. Hey, here we go. Here we go. Ali Bunker is presenting. Ooh, look at that. It might be a little laggy, so it might not visually look great, but you'll at least see what it lands on. So we're not, uh, you can see we're not lying to you. So, uh, Ali, if you'd like to do the honours. Let's get the wheel. Here we go. It's been, we've got 21 topics in total. As I said, much, there are various different ones. And it's, oh. Oh, it's landed on Eddie Guerrero. Latino heat. So, a la, a chi, a steel. So this is one that we said last week would be quite an interesting one to talk about because over the past 90-odd episodes that we've done on the podcast where we generally talk about modern-day WWE, Eddie Guerrero is obviously not sadly not with us anymore so we don't really tend to get a lot of time to speak about him unless it's to do with perhaps Sasha Banks and the kind of people who he, who, um, he is he an idol to um, so yeah let's talk about Eddie Guerrero um, let's start with what are some of your kind of overriding memories and feelings of Eddie Guerrero and his time in WWE and his legacy really we'll kind of start with a big one to go uh, to begin with uh, more <laughs> memories uh, no way out him winning the title for the first time mm-hmm. it, first, it was the first yeah, time, only time. Right there, yeah yeah um, that was probably at the time you thought going at Brock Lesnar probably not going to win a month before Mania as well you don't tend to get a lot of title changes I can remember the uh, celebrations the night after, or the SmackDown after, which were really good. Mm-hmm. Um, his legacy. I see it as his second time round was definitely his better time. I mean, yeah. his first time, 
I don't know if they knew where to go with his gimmick or what to do with him. But the second time, they definitely hit hit a home run. And um, I think he'll be remembered as one of the best cruiserweight slash sort of heavyweights there ever will be. I think he's one of those one of those um, great examples of someone who learned how to work in a cruiserweight cruiserweight style because of his size, um, then beefed up and transitioned into a heavyweight division. It's something that I think a lot of people, um, specifically in places like New Japan, where they have those separate divisions, you know, yeah. more so than in WWE, that people make a like quite a big deal of doing. Like wrestlers make a big deal of doing like people like Will Ospreay for instance comes to mind who make that sort of transition from from junior heavyweight to heavyweight if you will um, I think he's just a perfect example of someone who did it so so effortlessly and it just sort of happened in front of our eyes without really you know ever being any sort of fuss about it yeah. um, there wasn't an announcement that anywhere is now going to wrestle the bigger guys yeah exactly and I think that part of that is you know at the time there was a lot of big guys and you know Brock Lesnar was one that he was coming up against for example you don't get a lot bigger than him um, at that sort of time so yeah I think he's a great example of someone who learned the trade in, in a in ring style in such a fantastic way and then transitioned over to a main event character um, so which in my eyes is the best way around to do it well, I think he's it's quite fitting that he was probably one of the best wrestlers in WCW and they didn't know what to do with him because you had your Hulk Hogan, your Kevin Nash, your Goldbergs, who were main event stars and they weren't ever going to be anything less than that. I don't but know if he had... was one of the, uh, the, the group of vanilla midgets that um, got kind of uh, labelled on them by the likes of Kevin but Nash. You Wrestlers, the, but nothing to, the wrestlers nothing they had, they had Jericho, they had Dean Malenko, they had Eddie Guerrero, they had Chris Benoit. All of them have gone on to have great careers. Probably not Dean Malenko as much, but he was a great wrestler. He's still look widely He's still very well. Um, Revered in the wrestling it. industry, and he's kind if of WCW knew what, favorite wrestler. Knew what to do with talent, they would have probably won the Monday Night Wars. But they'd still be here. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, so Eddie Guerrero for me is is one of um, one of few people who was kind of as effective as a heel as he was as a babyface, and his. His heel, it was kind of, it started around that era where his heel characteristics became the likable things, as we started to see with the likes of Stone Cold and The Rock and stuff before, where being the kind of the badass is more popular. Whereas with Eddie Guerrero, he wasn't such a badass, but he was such a, a lovable kind of guy. Uh, even when he was being a bit of a scumbag, he just made you laugh, he made you want to watch him. Um, so that transition from heel into that kind of babyface tag team with with um chavo uh kind of back to heel again and then face for his title run and then heel towards the end of his career it just like it was all seamless and it flowed all the way throughout but it, it was still it was just all, it was effective either way never felt like he was shoehorned into either one of the roles his gimmick with china is underrated them two together made really good 
they were a really good pair. And it brought out a lot in China as well. Yeah, it brought out her character. I know we'd had similar with Mark Henry in the past, but it was kind of an extra an extra layer on top for um when it when it was with Guerrero. I think it really helped him in his character as well, because that that turned him into Latina Heat. Um Yeah, and I think it's um that that only started within a handful of months after the after he and the radical debuted. Um and as part of being a WWE performer, generally to be successful, you need to be good in the non-wrestling stuff, the promos and the segments and all that kind of stuff. And I think to st- stick him in that straight away, uh, let's personality come through, which I think was aided by the fact that he got injured on the first night or second night or whatever it was for his arm. So couldn't wrestle. Um, I think that definitely helped him in time in perhaps like Vince's eyes or all the higher ups eyes that they could do, they could do something with him. I mean, the, I mean, the Radicals, I mean, three great performers and Perry Saturn. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's talk about the Radicals. Um, so they all, they all came in together, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn and Dean Malenko, um, all together for roughly about six months or so. Um, didn't have the greatest success as a group, really. They tend to get beat quite a lot, um, and which doesn't usually happen from like a I think because they, they were seen as WCW guys. I think that's why they lost a lot. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the reason. Um, but at the time, Chris Benoit was the world heavyweight champion, wasn't he? I believe so. He yeah. like just won the title like the week before, <laughs> um, and then was appearing on WWE programming in the crowd, and then hopped over the barrier and beat up the New Age Outlaws. So it's quite like. It doesn't necessarily feel like it looking back at it, but at the time, it must have been a big kind of acquisition and a big thing for the crowd that the WCW world champion is now on Raw. But it can't really get much bigger, can it? I mean, no. when you when you talk about switching... In terms of name value, perhaps, but in terms of the literal championship holder, like that was yeah. the, the, the dreaded nightmare that Bret Hart would do over yeah. to WCW, that he'd turn up uh, but what was the title, which Benoit didn't do, but um, yeah, it's kind of unfathomable in a way. <laughs> They'd be like the Rock just turning up on Nitro. Well, that would never have happened. But <laughs> I know it's, it was a big deal, and I remember. And Aiden, you're probably a bit too young for this, but man, I will remember um, Radicals debuting on Raw. And even though I wasn't, I was more of a WCW guy in the mid. Well, early to mid nineties. I never, ever, I never was a WCW guy, but I watched it when it was filmed at Disney Studios um, back in the day. Um, and then when Nitro sort of came up against Raw, I, I was always a Raw guy. I think we both were on that. Um, yeah, definitely. Didn't do a lot of channel hopping. It wasn't easy to do it. To be fair, in the UK, I don't, I don't think it was particularly easy. Anyway, I don't even remember what Nitro was on in the UK. I think it was on Bravo. Then didn't it go to Channel Five? I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, at that, night. I think at that age, sort of nine, ten, eleven, I wasn't in charge of the remote anyway, so <laughs> I was never switching that channel. But um, I remember when they debuted, and even though you know I knew who all of them were, um, I remember being most excited about Chris Benoit because you know as you say he was making his way up the ranks in WCW and he ultimately got there and then it was Eddie Guerrero yeah and then it was Eddie Guerrero for me and I always remember getting the feeling because I'd seen 
uh, done the rounds, not on the internet because we didn't really have the internet back then. Crazy. But I just, you know, you just hear about probably in Power Slam magazine, a lot of stuff with Eddie Guerrero and Eric Bischoff, um, how that sort of storyline played out and really crossed over between Kayfabe and reality. Um, and I was excited about Eddie Guerrero as an in-ring performer because at that time in WWF, there wasn't a lot like him. I don't who could do it. Yeah, all. there wasn't. Because, I mean, the cruiserweight division in WWE at the time was poor. Like, there okay. was only like two or three guys, weren't there, that were ever going to win the title. Exactly, was, yeah. I was really excited because I... Because on where where I'd been watching it on Channel Five, the more that they showed was the likes of Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit. I think it was the lower card of matches that they were showing more. Mm. And actually, gen- like the wrestling was outstanding. And so for them coming across, it was it was a little bit like oh, I don't. But then I was like, I don't know where they're going to fit in. Yeah, a little bit like that. I mean. And this was kind of so Jericho, I think, kind of kickstarted that sort of migration over. And that was in what summer '99, I think, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Around August time. And then obviously this is about five or six months later. Um, so you know that that's that they were still very early in that transition period between you know stars moving from WCW to WWE rather than what we'd had five years before, which was. You know, big stars moving from WWF to, to WCW, like Hall and Nash and Hogan and Savage, et cetera, et cetera. So it felt, it felt like at that point, WCW was a sinking ship. WWE had, had won the war, um, which we know obviously by that point they pretty much had. And ultimately, by in a year's time, would completely have done it. Um, and, you know, at the time, it felt like you don't really get four people debuting on one night. Um, Especially yeah, because of that. That's the thing. A whole group of people mm-hmm. coming across in one night, including the world champion, it's, it just didn't happen. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's, it's fits and spurts. It's happened since, um, and most notably, I think, NXT call-ups that went down a storm in Lafayette in, in New Orleans uh, a couple of years back. But um this was this felt like a big deal, and I think the commentators made a big deal out of it on Raw when when it, when they were seeing. I was sort of like, "What are these guys doing here?" Which is exactly how it should have been played out. So I think they booked it really, really well. Um, there's just one thing I would say is what happened with Eddie is what's if you look back through his career is what's happened a fair amount of times is he just got very unlucky, unlucky and got, injuries. And got injured. Um, you know, there was in WCW, there was, a, I think, a storyline with the, they formed the, the LWO. Um, I think that's the Latino world order, I think. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, they were in a, they were in a storyline in a feud and then Eddie Guerrero was in a car crash. And, you know, that was the end of that storyline. And that would kind of, you know, that kind of defined his career up to a stage where he would just get to a point, things would go well, and then he'd have a major, major setback. Um, and obviously that's something that would, would carry on, unfortunately. I mean, through, through the rest of he story. had a lot of issues, obviously, in the WWE with drugs and with drink as well, which didn't. But then when he got fired and come back, apparently he was clean and sober until he died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was part of his um, 
his kind of redemption arc and for a solo run was how getting laid off basically you use that time to to fix himself and become better and become clean and sober and all that kind of stuff so but he did the right things he went and did independent shows and showed wwe what they were missing and they ultimately were looking at him and signed him back yeah, I don't think he, he was only gone for about six months to less than a year. I think he got fired and rehired in the same year, in 2002. So, um, they obviously, when they let him go, it was, it was, I would imagine it's more of a case of go sort yourself out and the door's always open. Um, which I think was the right decision in the end because it, it turned out quite well in, in the kind of the short term. Um, I also think he was fundamental in the brand split in making SmackDown one of the best shows to watch. Yeah, yeah literally like, what I was just about to say. I think, you know, the, the whole SmackDown 6 thing um, was a very real was a very real thing. They were dragging SmackDown up from the B show to the A show, and there was an absolutely no doubt from an in-ring perspective. SmackDown was the better show at that point, and it was largely down to, you know, himself... Ray, Edge, Kurt, Zichavo, and Chris Benoit as well. Yeah. Um, because of those, um, you know, the, what more can you say about someone's ability when they take a show like Raw or they overtake a show like Raw, which has been the main flagship show of WWE for so many years? And, uh, and to take the mantelpiece from, like, you just having the likes of The Rock are leaving, Stone Cold's leaving. So they're, they're two massive names. And then you're trying to fit yourselves into them slots. And they did it really well. Yeah, I do remember, um, you know, there being a significant drop-off in main events, quality stars, which I think is something that WWE have struggled with for a long, long time, almost ever since, really. Um, yeah. They've tried, or they, at that time anyway, they were trying to inject a bit of youth into the main event scene, at least not necessarily youth, because actually a lot of those guys weren't at the start of their careers. They were seasoned veterans by that point, almost all of them, uh, with the exception of maybe Kurt Angle. Um, and, you know, they were trying to inject that, that just bit of energy, a bit of difference into the main event scene. Um, and Eddie was, the, you know, a huge benefactor of that. Yeah, and it, it went hand in oh. hand with... <laughs> Sorry. I mean, where I live is a daily occurrence. <laughs> That's the wood for you. That's poor on wood for you. Um, yeah, like, the, 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 the rise of these kind of um, perhaps more experienced, more capable, but perhaps pre- fresher faces combined with the, um, the likes of Brock Lesnar's, Randy Orton's, and Batista's, and John Cena's really helped, I think, um, SmackDown and WWE really in um, creating a decent number of pretty large stars, I think you could say, and I like Batista and Cena in particular. Um, and yeah, I think it was crucial for for SmackDown's, I guess, perhaps survival as a brand on its own to have these kind of core group that you know are going to steal the show and regardless of whatever combination of them you put together you just um, know that they're going to deliver night upon night and you can put them out there with whoever they, you want it to yeah so if you have one or two of these matches on the card where you just know they're going to deliver that people are going to want to watch then you can 
introduced the likes of Yelezners and stuff like that to get more eyes on him because people are watching to see the good the good wrestling um so yeah i think that was kind of uh, crucial in the the first six months to a year of smackdown solo I existence think, i think this was the point as well where people were looking for wrestling rather than your gimmicks you would just we just come out of the attitude era we just come out of all the gimmicky matches and stuff and people wanted to see wrestling fundamentally the rise of people who are kind of almost exclusively watching stuff like ring of honor or new japan or pwg at the time um so yeah there'd be a a bleeding through or bleed over into watching the kind of and you you still have it today with people who may maybe only watch nxt or maybe only watch certain parts of raw and smackdown because they know the matches are going to be good rather than watching the whole thing Talking um, of bleeding, he had one of the bloodiest matches I have ever seen in my life because he yeah, cut himself yeah. a little bit too deep. Yes, I don't think you can ever question Eddie Guerrero's toughness and his <laughs> guts, which I think we almost literally saw. <laughs> yeah, it's commitment to the cause. Um, so, yeah, if, if you don't remember Judgment Day 2004, I think it was Judgment Day. Um, and the last man stand was it last man standing? No, I think it was just a no hold barred, weren't it? Yeah, I think it was just like a no disqualification type match. But yeah, uh, Eddie Guerrero gets cracked on the cranium by a steel head chair um, thrown by JBL, cuts himself, and basically goes far too deep and is just gushing all over them. It's, it's horrible to watch like because it's instant as well you can see it squirted and, like you could tell listening to michael cole and taz on commentary just how kind of uncomfortable like you could tell they were kind of concerned you're basically um, waiting for him to faint yeah and that's the whole thing and what's amazing about it is there's about 10 minutes after it happens of the match it doesn't it's not right near the end there's about 10 minutes where um like he's got he's getting the shit beaten out of him by JBL um, like you can barely stand you can't really tell if it's part of the match or if it's just because he literally can barely stand and then he goes in this like this recovery and this rally and he's doing all the and I think stuff like this which which although he was champion at the time massively helps endear him to a crowd is you can see he's losing a ridiculous amount of blood and he's getting beaten up by JBL and he's he's doing the uh doing the chest shimmy thing, I don't know what you call it, but he's like he's he's making his comeback and the crowd are going nuts and eventually I think he gets disqualified or something like that for going over the top. But yeah, there's never any question that he is um ever gonna pull out of the match. I wonder how close they were to stopping that match. I just gotta look at the, the the mat. There's more blood than Matt. It was ridiculous. <laughs> He did. Um, he did actually um, pass out backstage after that match, um, and was yeah, taken because um, he was, you know, obviously in a pretty bad way. But the explanation was that he cut an artery. Cut an or, artery, yeah. Um, when he cut himself too deep, and yeah, you're right. I'm not lost that match by disqualification. <laughs> I'm not being funny. If I cut an artery, I'm going straight to hospital. I'm not carrying on for 10 like, Sorry, weeks. guys. I, I've done a bit too much. I'm just going <laughs> to... Yeah. Yeah, fuck, uh, fuck that. Um, but that was yeah, actually I a think... few... I think... Sorry, just to interrupt you. 
I think the JBL feud is one that you immediately think of when you think of Eddie Guerrero's title reign. But actually, um, I think it did a lot for JBL as well as what it did for Eddie. Um, and that's that's the sign of a really good feud because it didn't come out with Eddie Guerrero looking great and JBL looking rubbish or vice versa. It actually came out with both of them looking like stars. Um, so it was an excellent feud. Yeah. And yeah, and that's a good point because um, it it was JBL's first solo feud as the JBL character, and yeah. for him to go in and it made the title, it made JBL the character what he yeah. what he was, and yeah, it was the perfect it was the perfect character for, character for JBL to go up against, not just because he was a WWE champion, but because of the whole racial undertones um, thing of JBL perhaps not liking the, uh, the Mexican or Latino community. Um, Unfounded rumour, surely. <laughs> huh? Unfounded rumour, surely. <laughs> yeah, just speculation. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a good point. It definitely helps um, integrate JBL as, as pretty quickly establish him as a main event character who could then go on a title run, which would be at the time the longest of that title reign, I think. Well, one question I've got about it: What do you think would have happened if he hadn't have died? This is something that I always wonder. I know the the, the rumor and the, the plan supposedly was that it was supposed to be him versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania the next year, twenty two, which I think was, was something that we never really got to see in a, in a at least not in a program. I don't know if they ever had like a one off kind of Raw type match, but. Um, yeah, that's that's the the kind of confirmed rumor or plans for the time, but I don't know in the kind of short time. I think he was supposed to feud with Batista over the winter for the title. Yeah, I always it's strange with Eddie because um, obviously, sort of towards the well after sort of the JBL feud, JBL moved on to um, John Cena, and you know at WrestleMania or whatever. Um, you know, I don't. I didn't really see where Eddie Guerrero fit in the main event scene, so to speak, after that. Um, just because his feuds at that point had been, you know, all very sort of personal. But, you know, I think the Brock one sort of came out of nowhere a little bit, but the um, JBL one was very personal. I think he's even had his mum having a kayfabe heart attack or something at a live show or something like that. I don't think uh, it was kayfabe. I think it was legit. It's <laughs> very good timing. Plays into the feud very well. Um, I think it was pla- yeah. I think it was planned that he would do something, but she actually had like a mini heart attack. Wow. Um, but you know, once it was sort of Cena was was champion, I didn't really see where Eddie fit in. And then obviously you had the rise of Batista and, and Orton as well after that, or before that slightly. Um, you know, and I felt like Eddie was sort of out of place at the very top of the card. So in my eyes, Eddie's future. On in the WWE was was sort of up a mid card and always floating around that sort of title scene, but never really being the top guy anymore because it felt like his time had come and gone as the top guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't ever really see him as as having won the title again or was going to win a title again. Um, would maybe feud for it a couple of times or challenge for it a couple of times, but um, would never really achieve it. Um, I think what we what we did see after um, his kind of 2004 run was, and which is something I think would probably would, would go on to happen. It would be a similar kind of thing with Shawn Michaels after after his return in his second run, 
you get the more personal storylines like we got with the whole Rey Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio type thing, which um, sometimes maybe be a bit hokey, but is also is definitely well remembered. Um, and the, the feud itself and the turn, the heel turn, where he destroys Rey Mysterio on the steps. It's, I mean, it's definitely uh, remembered because. That is all people remember Dominic from. It's hard is to watch Dominic. It's mental about that Dominic is now just wrestling every week and had an Elimination Chamber qualifier the other day. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it's mental to watch him wrestling every week, but it's also hard to watch him wrestle and not just think of Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think that movie is... <laughs> I think that sort of moves us on to the conversation about his, his legacy quite well. Um, in that, you know, Rey Mysterio star in his own right, but in terms of his WWE career, that took off after after Eddie's death, um, with the Royal Rumble win and then WrestleMania moment, obviously. Um, and then obviously you've got Dominic, as you've just mentioned. But I think in terms of more of his legacy would be how so many people have come out and, and mentioned how inspiring he was as an in-ring performer to them. I mean, Sasha Banks is the big one. I'm sure Bailey. Um, has mentioned how you know how she feels the same way as well. It's, it's interesting, actually. It's, yeah, and Peyton Royce. It's interesting that these are women coming out and saying that you know he was an inspiration. Um, you would expect, you know, that maybe that might also, Trisha, for instance. But, but Eddie has interesting. They're not only are they women, but they're not necessarily Latino women who you probably maybe would expect as um, as the the kind of first group of. Um, Ones to be but inspired, but I suppose growing up they were they were seeing wrestling. Yeah, so they were the first people you're going to see that are proper wrestling. But when when you think of say Rey Mysterio, for example, the 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 people who um, tend to come out and say Rey Mysterio is one of their favourites or inspirations or whatever, they tend to be the lucha style wrestlers and and the, the ones who've come from Mexico and the, that. Um, part of the world, whereas yeah, with Eddie Guerrero, it seemed that he had a bit more of a kind of um, global appeal. Um, well, I think he he'd taken lucha and then adapted it and made it his own. Whereas I can see Rey Mysterio is very much like every lucha there's ever been. He's very much of that. And I think the Eddie Guerrero not wearing a mask probably plays a part in that. I think if yeah. he was a masked wrestler in WWE, whether he would have had the success or not is one thing, but the um, the impact he might have had in certain different demographics and communities would probably be different. Um, I wanted to get your opinion on um, something that I was, uh, I was listening to on another podcast earlier about Eddie Guerrero, um, which was um, after he died and Rey Mysterio had won the Royal Rumble. At No Way Out 2006, Rey Mysterio had a match with Randy Orton, um, where if, if Randy beat Mysterio, then Mysterio loses his WrestleMania spot and Randy gets it. The build-up to this featured a, a very controversial comment from Randy, which he was instructed to do, just off the cuff, where he basically said that um, Eddie Guerrero is not looking down on you from heaven, he's not very proud of you or whatever, because Eddie Guerrero is in hell. What's your opinions on stuff like that? being used as a as a story and a way to further a storyline and get cheap heat or is it just too distasteful especially so soon after I mean for me it's I 
I think cheap heat would be the, the way to describe it. I mean, I, generally speaking, I've never really had too much of an issue with these sorts of things. You know, Randy at the time and pretty much ever since has been a despicable heel. Like, um, you know, he's, he's an expert at getting heat, always has been. Um, and I think at the time, Vicky Guerrero was working for the company. Um, yeah, I was going to say, if they got her okay on it, then... Yeah, she they 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 ran everything by her. There's, there's the nothing nothing that went out to do with Eddie Guerrero after his death didn't go out without Vicky. I look at it this go way: ahead. Would Eddie Guerrero have been all right with it for the business? Yeah, he would. Well, that's that's one thing that I found quite quite interesting was so there was a there was a story that um, that came out after from Mick Foley. So Mick Foley at the time that episode of SmackDown aired, he was doing like a make a wish type thing with a young um Mexican Latin Latino kid in hospital. He was ill. And they were in the hospital room and they were watching that episode of SmackDown and Eddie Guerrero was this kid's favourite wrestler. And um Randy Orton comes out with this line and Mick Foley saw how upset it made this kid and felt terrible the fact that the company that he was representing to be there with this kid was also the same company that was putting this thing out on TV. Um, what Mick Foley then went and did, because he was hearing about people saying, oh, like, um, Eddie would be okay with it and all that kind of stuff. And what Mick Foley went and did was that he didn't want anyone to be saying that after he died. Um, he didn't want um, kind of memorial hardcore shows to be put on or anything like that or for his death to be used in storyline. So he put it in his will that he changed his will so that if he dies, it's not to be used in any kind of wrestling capacity, which I think is pretty interesting because I've not heard of that before. Yeah, I mean, I heard this story as well this week and um, it was the first time I'd heard it. But, you know, it doesn't surprise me that Mick would have that kind of reaction. He's, you know, he's a very... Um, He's a guy of integrity, isn't he, Mick Foley? He's, you know, integrity is a massive thing for Mick. And, yeah, I can understand why he would feel that way. Um, and, you know, with the experience of going through with that Make-A-Wish child, with, you know, seeing the pain that that sort of caused, I can understand. I think in Eddie Guerrero's specific situation, I mean, obviously we've spoken about his legacy on non-Latino wrestlers in the future, but as a... I, I would imagine, not being from the Latino community, that he would be a big idol for the Latino community wrestling fans anyway. Um, and, you know, maybe having that sort of um, phrase and muttered during a storyline would have had neg- you know, massively negative consequences for the you know, people, young Latino fans, and even older ones as well, who were massive Eddie fans. So I can see why people had an issue with it. Personally, I hope I didn't and, and still wouldn't. But I can certainly see, see why. And for someone like Mick Foley, who um, worked at WWE on and off for so many years, and obviously has a great deal of respect for you know, the company and the fans that do something like that, you know, that really suggests that at some point it, it really crossed the line with certain people. Yeah. Matt, any thoughts? <sighs> it's a difficult one because it, it's... If he's okayed it with a fat, like if Vince is okayed that with a family, then that's the family's call. It's not. I mean, he wouldn't have 
put it on TV if the family has said no. I know Vince is a dick, but I don't think he's that much of a dick. Um, I just—it's weird, isn't it? It's—I mean, it's, it's weird. It's because, weird to think about the real life death of a person being used to further to, to further a fake feud between characters. But then that per- that person was in the industry. That person was part of the industry. That person also got cheap heat from things. Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 of the same opinion of, of Ali in that I'm personally it doesn't bother me, but obviously I wasn't um, not directly impacted in it. I didn't know the person. I'm not part of the company. I'm not, like I think it, I think it's different if it's your they're saying about your brother, your dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I think it, it also depends depends how it how it's done as well. Um, Randy Orton then came out. I think the following week and basically said, "Like he basically said, oh, I didn't really mean it. I'm just, I was, I just used it to go right into this match, um, which I think was probably due to the backlash that they probably got from well, the I community." Think, uh, I think I read that Randy wasn't particularly comfortable with saying it in the first place. Um, I mean, wasn't there like, new Eddie and wasn't and there that. a thing? Oh, it was Paige, wasn't it? That said about. Charlotte. Charlotte's brother, yeah. Yeah, you had stuff like that. And then you also That's had, an example um, of something that probably crossed the line for me personally. Yeah, and then, and then you had like Paul Bearer's death being used in a feud of Undertaker almost immediately after, which again, yeah. everyone says, oh yeah, you would have loved it. Um, like they even put that on the, in the Paul Bearer episode of, on, the, on the network they did. But um, yeah, it's always one of those areas where. You, it's, it's going to divide opinion regardless of who it is or what they say. Um, it's just, if you're going to do it, just the thing do is, it right. <laughs> wrestling's do it wrestling's right. fake. <gasps> How dare you? But it's storyline, isn't it? It's not... I mean, there's a, there's a touch of realism in it, but you're not going to, you're not going to come away from a roar and be like, oh, he said that, Jesus. Um, I can't, I can't cope now. You take it with a pinch of salt. Yeah, I think it all depends on the kind of person you are and um, the kind of things you're watching for. Like, who knows? Maybe if I was sitting there watching it with my son or something, I might, I might have a different view on it. But yeah, um, so it, it doesn't bother me. But I can understand why it, it bothers some people. Um, so I just wanted to kind of, I just wanted to end on kind of um, a bit, bit more about perhaps his his his, his legacy and um, overall kind of uh, career. Um, it's quite strange and it's quite rare, and it only really happened with Owen Hart at the time for someone to have died in the middle of them being kind of not necessarily the top guy, but being at the top of their game. Um, the height of their career was there was still some years left. It, it doesn't tend to happen a lot. That's yeah, what, I mean that was what made me so sad at the time. Yeah, I mean we've spoken about it before. I think even on here that you know as you were what ten, ten years old, mm-hmm. so you know very young. Uh, yeah, you were devastated. Um, you know, One me of the myself. Last times I cried, by the way. <laughs> Me, myself, you know, as a, I would have been 17 at the time, I think, you know, as almost an adult, I was sort of, sort of transitioning away from 
wrestling at that point. But it was still hit hard. And obviously the tribute shows and all that, they hit hard. Um, I was never an Eddie Guerrero mark, so to speak. You know, I, I always appreciated his in-ring talent. But I always, I was more of a, I don't know, I think I was stuck in the attitude era. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's my transition in a way. But it's definitely, definitely hit hard. Yeah, no, I, I, I was an adult. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it was a hard one. Uh, I think him dying and then quickly after Benoit, I mean, obviously for the the circumstances, Benoit will never be, will probably never have an episode on Benoit because of it. But their legacies, they went like that and then Obviously, Benoit for what he did. They'll always be intertwined. I think what was what was sad and what was weird for me was the 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 tribute episode. Um, Just seeing how seemingly how much everybody loved Eddie Guerrero, and just seeing how I know obviously it was like on the day of or the day after he died, but just seeing how destroyed Benoit, for example, was. I, I always wonder how much of an effect that had on what was then to come in the next massively. Because if, if you watch the documentary on Benoit, it massively affected him. Yeah, that was the saddest. That's obviously, the death of his wife and child. <clears throat> very, very sad. But for me, but that part of the documentary was the saddest part. Just seeing how destroyed he was. Obviously great friends um, and work colleagues and they've been through some really great times um, together always um, to lose almost like a family member like that it was it was really it was really sad to see how much that obviously how much that impacted him um, whether that played a part in what happened after I don't I don't know but I can only speculate but yeah uh, Chris Benoit after that would never have been the same yeah I mean it's it's obviously not an easy thing for anyone to go through to to lose their best friend so unexpectedly and then suddenly. And yeah, hearing the um, hearing the likes of Chavo Guerrero in his interview saying how he basically held Eddie Guerrero's lifeless body in his arms is just not something that you ever really want to think about. So I think the overriding memories that everyone has of Eddie Guerrero is the the happy memories, the way he makes. The, the way, just the connection he had with the crowd. It was very early kind of instance of the likes of, I guess, Daniel Bryan, who um, you would imagine they were never really going to reach the top, but they just had such a connection and such backing with the crowd from the crowd that it became kind of undeniable in the end. Yeah, I think it's certainly one of the prime examples of that fan movement. WWE listening to the crowd and reacting and making you know, maybe making a change in plans about, you know, who they put the title on or whatever. Um, and Daniel Bryan, as you say, is another prime example of, of Eddie's legacy. I think fans, once those sorts of things happened, I mean, I don't think there were many times in the past before this anyway, where fans had a such a affinity with a superstar that was probably never really destined for the top and helped propel them there. I mean, I can't think of too many. Yeah, uh, affinity with a wrestler who they weren't told to necessarily have such a great affinity. With. Yeah, I mean Bret Hart maybe, but the, you know things were different back then. Fans didn't weren't as vocal in terms. Obviously, they didn't have the platforms that we do, um, or even did that with, with Eddie. 
So, you know, it's, it's a bit different. So I think he's probably one of those first trailblazers where it comes to the fans really dictating what WWE produce. And I think people like CM Punk, um, Daniel Bryan, obviously, and, you know, hopefully in the future, people like Kevin Owens, even Cesaro, those Sami Zayn, those sorts of characters who are so well loved by all fans or most fans but maybe aren't quite seen as top guys can be, you know, huge, usually to ben- of benefit to them. So um, I think that leg- legacy will always be something that Eddie Guerrero... Um, His legacy help. will live on. Yeah, for sure. And all yeah. I've got to say, the last things I've got to say about Eddie Guerrero... For those of you who can't see us on camera, we'll just sit in there jamming. <laughs> a great theme tune. Uh, and he knows yeah. making entrance. Yeah, and he, and he generally had pretty good theme tunes throughout. Only one I didn't like was when he turned here earlier. That stupid, like, ringtone ringing one at the start. Really fucking loud in your ears. <laughs> um, I'm glad that one didn't last that long. Um, but yeah, I think that that basically sums up this week's episode. Um, quite, quite refreshing to talk about uh, a character that we don't get to talk about. And um, I think we, I think mean, that was a pretty good discussion in the end. Yeah, I think. Well, I think we could talk for hours about legacy for people like Eddie Guerrero. So it's um, it's good to get give him some airtime. Yeah. Um, so well done, Randomizer, for for picking that one out for us. I think that was a Matt topic as well, that one, wasn't it? That was one of Matt's one, yeah. Well done, Matt. What do we do with the rest of the wheel? Do we do we want to replace it with a topic? Well, I don't know. Let, let's see. Should we, should we add one in now? If anyone's got anything they, that they want to add wrestling. off the top of their head? Hardcore wrestling. wrestling. I mean, topical well, we'll... given the um, the announcement on AEW. Yes, the new that's, that's why I brought it up. Well, we have got gimmick matches as a category. I don't know if we'd want to I think we can talk about or... I think we can talk about hardcore for an episode yeah same yeah alright fuck it let's add it in there then I'll add um, it in there so that's what we'll do we, we won't do one of these randomizer episodes every week um, we'll do them kind of as and when we feel like or when we've not got anything in particular to talk about um, so which could be quite often yeah so <laughs> I'm saying, it's not like we just had to take over. It's not like we just had to take over all elimination chambers this week. <laughs> yeah, I'm I think maybe it. next week we'll talk about elimination chamber and we'll talk about takeover because I think it was too good not to mention. Good point. Yeah. Takeover was brilliant. It was very good, uh, very uh, worthy of a of an episode. So I think I think next week we'll do a half and half. Um, we'll do a belated takeover vengeance day and Elimination Chamber and the Fallout and what that means potentially for WrestleMania is that's the is the next pay-per-view after this time next week that's the next pay-per-view the crazy hopefully thing we'll about. have had a roar after that as well so we can see yeah well Ed said he's, he's not going to make any of his decisions until after Elimination Chamber so it might be that roar that we might get something or I find out. probably be smacked down and then I can talk about what I think is going to happen at Mania <laughs> Oh, Matt's got his plans already. I've literally got enough. I don't even know what match is going to happen in WrestleMania, let alone what actually is going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll leave it there. Um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Whatever you're doing, we really appreciate it. 
Um, you can find us as a whole on Twitter at the underscore PWP, which is the same also over on Instagram. Um, you can find me on Twitter if you want to talk to me, although I don't really talk about wrestling on there. I talk about barely anything. Um, at Aiden Bunker on Twitter and same over Instagram, but I don't post there either. Uh, Ali? Uh, likewise, I don't really talk about wrestling on my Twitter, so there's no point interacting with me. But if you want to, it's at Ali Bunker. Unless you're a Spurs fan, then follow us. Hey, yeah, because we've got some takes. A Tottenham Hotspur fan, not San Antonio Spurs, because then you'll also be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. We know. you'll be very disappointed with that. <laughs> I mean, if you want to see me wind people up on uh, Twitter, it's at the Bear and Bumby. Um, don't go to Instagram. Say again? Have blocked by anybody recently? Uh, no, still only JBL, I think. <laughs> we could probably do an episode on who's Matt, who, or a segment every week of who's Matt been blocked by. Um, I did get that kid chucked off Twitter, though. How's it been suspended? This, well, it happens all the time. I think, I think he's just so. up creating new ones all the time. Yeah, I think he's had like, way more than 10 at this point. But um... I'll be there just to wind him up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, don't go on to my... The man of the people. Don't go on to my Instagram. It's a bit too lovey-dovey on my Instagram. <laughs> no one wants yeah. to see that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, so, yes, like we said, thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next week for our Elimination Chamber and TakeOver Reviews.